Welcome to the Dr. April Jasper Show, relevant conversations for business owners of today. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We appreciate being a part of your life and being invited into your day. It is such a joy to be able to help our colleagues to bring value to their patients and to help you strengthen and grow your business. Join us at optometricmanagementeducation.com where you can learn more about all of the other services we provide. We have a subscription service that you can be a part of where you can learn and teach your team from the courses that we've recorded on all of the topics that are relevant to your success. We also have consulting services. And right now, if you give us a call, schedule a call with me, I'll be happy to talk to you about what we can do to help you grow your business one-on-one. Welcome, everyone. We're so excited to have you back to listen to our podcast. And I am thrilled to have a good friend of mine, Dr. Stephen Montequila, on our podcast today. Welcome, Steve. Thank you. Glad so to be let here. me. I have to tell everybody a little bit about you that's not in your bio, and that is how we met. So Steve and I, I think the first time we met, and if I remember correctly, is that we served on AOA's third party committee together. And I remember walking in the room and meeting everybody that was in the room and thinking, man, this guy really knows his stuff. So that was your first impression on me. That's great to hear. You know your stuff as well. (laughs) We made a good pair. So the other thing that, Steve, uh, you you are known for is that you also have been on, and I think you still are on AOA's Federal Relations Committee. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. that's true. So you stay very connected with what's going on in optometry. And what I love about you is that you really care about our future. You have uh, an idea, a very good idea of what's going on in the world of optometry in areas that a lot of us don't know. And you also have that knowledge because of what you're doing every day. And that is your president of your group practice there. Is that correct? Yes. All right. So I'm going to let you tell everybody a little bit more about yourself. But I just, again, want to thank you for being here. We're going to do a lot of conversationing today. I don't know if that's a word or not, but that's what we're going to do about uh, we're going to talk about really what's what are some of the challenges in optometry. And even though I'm in Florida, you're in Rhode Island, we still face some of the same challenges. And then talk too about what have we found to be some great ways to adapt and to implement new technology. That's another thing I think you're known for is knowing what newest technology is out there. So before we get to that, let's start with tell us about your practice and you know where where you began and how this is all uh, working out for you right now. Sure. So our practice is this practice is over 100 years old. My former uh, practice partner, his Grandfather was a refracting optician. His father and his uncle were both optometrists, and he, of course, was an optometrist. So it encompasses the history of the profession, really. Um, we started off when I first joined, it was two doctors and three staffers. We're up to four doctors and 10 staff. So we've grown quite a bit over the years. Um, his history, he was always very involved in, in the politics of our profession. He's a former AOA president, uh, was part of the group that got the first diagnostic bill in the country passed. So Um, so advocacy for the profession has really never been a question. If you're joining this practice, that's just how it is. (laughs) Um, so we've, I've really enjoyed the benefits of having a practice with such longevity, but also seeing the changes over time and how we've been able to improve the care that we provide to our patients. So what do you say is your favorite part of being a practice owner? Well, there really are so many benefits. Um, I think the greatest benefit we have is being able to chart our own course. 
So yeah. you can learn something and perfect something and do it. And if you think about our profession, the, the nice thing about our profession is we're really only bound by several things, our education, our training, um, the state and federal laws and regulations. Yeah. And we can change all of that. You know, we can gain education, we can change laws and regulations. Yeah. It's a combination of education and advocacy, really. But the ability for them to shape your practice and spend your days doing what is most fulfilling to you in taking care of your patients. I think that's really it. Yes, absolutely. So you gave us a little bit of an idea as to how you became involved in AOA. Anything else you'd like to add to that and, and what you're doing today for the American Optometric Association, which means really for all of us? Yeah, so I think that, as I said, you know, it was this practice was steeped in the, in that history. And so the indoctrination was you started working here and you learned about it. The, the My former associate's um, claim to fame when he was president of the AOA, we were signed into Medicare during his presidency. Wow. So you think back at the impact that that had on all of us and our ability to earn a living, but also to expand yeah. our patient base, you know, to, to do more with the patients we see, because you're seeing a, a wider variety of patients over, over that period of time. Um, it's pretty amazing when you think about what the previous generation of doctors did for us. And I think we have a responsibility to do that for the next generation to kind of chart that course, especially with our younger colleagues. You know, they're just starting out. They know what they learned in school. Many of them right. don't even know the history. I actually taught the history of optometry for a couple of years at the Mass College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences, which was kind of fun um, because there's no reason why they would know these things. It's all been done, yeah. right? Well, most of the battles have been waged. But obviously, we still have a long way to go. We still, as sure. you know, from your days on third party, we come across a lot of problems that that we can solve and be helpful with. Um, right now, I still am a member of the Federal Relations Committee. So obviously dealing with federal federal legislative issues yeah. um, and trying to help you know, everywhere that we can to try to ensure that our colleagues have the ability to practice to the full extent of their education, training and, and scope. I love it. Well, thank you for doing that. It, it means a lot to all of us. A lot of people don't realize the work that goes involved. And uh, I do. And I appreciate all of that, Steve. Thank you. So let's move on to challenges. You mentioned it briefly and talked about how so many of the newer graduates in our profession really don't know the challenges of the past. And so let's talk about some of the challenges we're facing today. And even in your practice, what do those look like? And then maybe from there, we can talk about uh, how new technology kind of rolls into being a problem solver for us in those ways. Sure. I mean, I think what's our biggest challenge is is taking yeah. the best possible care of our patients, right? Understanding our practice, understanding what is the what the patient needs are and ensuring that we can provide care for those needs, whether that's providing care directly or indirectly by referring patients out. Um, I think that finding a community of colleagues to work with has yeah. been a bit of a challenge, but once you have that group in place, it's amazing. You know, we have excellent referral sources here and they work collaboratively with us. It's not like some of the fights you hear nationally or even on the state level where you have um, those who oppose you are trying to change laws in a very negative way. Um, you can find if with some work, you can find that support system for your patients really is what it boils down to. Yeah. Um, like I said before, what are we limited by? Our education, our training, state and federal laws and regulations, all of which can be amended or changed. 
when it comes to current challenges here, I think most of my colleagues I talk to and me, staffing has yeah. been the biggest challenge with the pandemic and the aftermath of the pandemic, if you will. Um, and yeah. having the staff you want and the staff to to help you take better care of people is really what we're all here to do has been a big challenge, but I think I'm seeing that turn around. You know, we've we've had certainly training challenges and and uh, access point in the office challenges, and I, that's where technology comes in to be a big help for us. So we can talk so what, a little bit about that too. Yeah, let's do. So I know as we've uh, seen technology come and go, there've been only a couple of times I feel like I've invested in technology that hasn't worked out, thankfully. But uh, what I've always wanted to do, and I know you're the same way, is look for where we see the need and we know we have staffing issues. We know that we have uh, the patient care, patient access. How has technology helped you? And, and talk to us about some of the technology that you have most recently been involved in. And I know that you, by the way, for those of you that, that are listening, the other thing I love about Steve is he is very good at working with companies to find what's best. And so I, I'm, that's why I want you to be here and talk to us today. Sure. So, I mean, I think if you just think of technology in general from when I joined this practice um, and so and again, the my former associate in practice was very progressive. So if they if they made it, he had it was helpful. He had it. He had a camera. He had a, a perimeter. Right. There are practices that don't even have those things. Even today, I've been finding yeah. there are practices that don't have these technologies. And what we have, what I've seen in the last, let's say, 15 years, the OCT has transformed our practice. Yeah. There are so many more patients now that I can manage here. I can confidently and competently manage their condition because I can see in that level of detail. And it's interesting with the OCT and that when it first came out, I spoke with a retinal specialist who, who I highly respect. And she reflected back and said, you know, some of these new technologies give you a histology slide of the retina. Do we really need that? Well, once you see it, the answer is yes, right? I need right. that level of detail. I can't manage my patients without it. So I think if you're just thinking from a practice growth perspective, adding technology such as that helps you to retain your patients. And that, you know, studies have shown that a retaining a patient costs you a lot less than gaining a new patient. Yeah. So being able to retain them, but also providing more clinically appropriate care is really the key. And I think that as we see technology continue to evolve, for example, if we ever reach a point where we have anti-VEGF in an eye drop, or there's a, a drug being developed that's a pill that works well for diabetic retinopathy, at least in its early stages, Right. if we have these technologies and we have the ability to manage them because we have the ability to see them, that is a huge benefit to us and of course to our patients. So when you think then about how we assess technology in the office, what do I want to add? Do, I don't want to add, as you said, the things that are that you're kind of sorry that you have sitting in the corner yeah. collecting dust, right? So we try to be very careful with the types of technology that we add. Typically, I'm adding something to solve a problem. So we assess the practice. We see where do we have a pain point? Where could we be doing better? Um, in our case, and I think in most offices' case, the testing room is a, a kind of a choke point. Yeah. We can't get enough patients through that room. As I said before, the OCT has become a huge asset to us, which means more patients need to go through that room to have that test done. Right. So now what? Well, in that same room, I have my perimeter, I have my camera, I have my autorefractor. 
Um, and we have that room set up as an ancillary exam room. So we have a chair and stand in that room as well. Wow. We don't use it as often, but it's there to be used if needed. But how do I maximize my space and also advantage my staff? Because as I said, we've had staffing yeah. issues. We've had an inability to maintain a robust staff over the last couple of years. I see that changing, but it's not going to change overnight. Right. So we looked at our office and said, what do we need? We need to decrease that choke point. We need to, to relieve the stress in that room. And we found realistically the biggest problem in that room was the perimeter, which we have a, a legacy unit, right? It's wonderful. It's fast, yeah. but it's still time consuming for my staff to sit in that room with the patient while they run the test. So we started looking at alternatives. You know, what else is out there? And realized that I think, you know, a portable perimeter of some sort, yeah. just like many other portable technologies that we have access to, you know, we, we have access to a handheld autorefractor. Right. We have access to handheld um, applination tonometry devices. Why wouldn't we have access to some sort of handheld device that moves that testing out of that room potentially increasing our ability to provide more clinically appropriate testing on our patients and help my staff feel more comfortable with their workflow throughout the day. We are excited to have CooperVision as a sponsor of our podcast. CooperVision is one of the world's leading contact lens manufacturers, and they serve eye care professionals and patients in over 130 countries. Their innovative products help millions of patients see every single day. One of the technologies and innovations that we love the most about CooperVision is their groundbreaking technology in soft contact lenses that helps to slow the progression of myopia in children 8 to 12 years old at the initiation of treatment. And I think patients are probably looking at us and our practices and thinking, yes, I know you think, Doc, you have a lot of great stuff, but I see technology even moving past what it looks like you do in your practice. So I love the idea of looking elsewhere. So tell us where you landed. You, you assessed your practice. Oh, but you didn't tell us. You said you look at uh, the challenges in your practice. You did tell us that you found there was a choke point, but is there anything else you looked at in that assessment that helped yeah, so lead you on? So we pulled records on all of our, for, for a 12-month period of time, all of our glaucoma-related diagnosis patients, whether it was a glaucoma suspect or a glaucoma case. And we looked at each of our doctors and found that, lo and behold, we were all at about the same level where, on average, our patients with a glaucoma-related diagnosis were only receiving a visual field, an automated perimetry, once about every 19 months. And wow. so looking at that, we said, well, we must do better. So knowing where the choke point was, so we had that figured out. We knew where yeah. our problem was. We didn't realize the magnitude of the problem until we pulled those numbers. And those numbers are readily yeah. available in our practice management software. So everyone could do the same and recognize, geez, we're missing out on these patients. They need better care, right? They need us to step up, but we're limited because of the legacy unit that we have, the one machine that we have that, that makes it difficult to get patients into that room. Right. And it was funny that one of our doctors who the staff feels like he does the most visual fields in the group was at exactly the same level as all the other doctors. Ah. It was all once about every 19 months. Yeah. So we need to step up our game. So that's where we started looking at how else can you do a perimetry today? And the fact is these 
um, head head mounted perimeters right. are getting significantly better and much more portable, very um, accurate based on the research that's being done on them, yep. and gives you that ability to move that test anywhere in the office. So, looking at the different models, you know, our criteria we wanted something that was would be accepted by our patients, so it had to be comfortable to right. wear. Um, we needed something that was lightweight, easy to use, easy for both the staff and for the patients to use, right? Um, and looking at all the different devices, we landed on the Radius XR unit. So I can tell you more about that. Yeah, yeah let's do it. So you found you had an issue. You looked for what type of device or uh, what type of technology could you bring in? You decided on the Radius XR. And I know it mattered to you. And, and we have the same. Uh, we made the same decision, not even really uh, putting that together and planning that together. And I agree with you so far. Uh, we've seen that it's made a big difference in all those same areas. But one of the other things that I think I would love for you to talk about is, and I don't want to talk negative about anyone else ever, but what have you found about the research? Are there any clinical studies? Because I was worried that it wouldn't be the same test. Like it wouldn't be the same as your legacy unit in the sense that it wouldn't be as accurate. So what do we know about that with Radius XR? So with radio, the study is ongoing, but the early reports are out showing. So one interesting thing. So so to set the stage, when you look yeah. at all of these these units, we are used to let's let's take the Humphrey twenty four two as an example, because that's a very common. You could use right. the the Octopus G one X as right. a similar example. Yeah, those machines because of the way they're built, run uh, their decibel level runs down to zero or approximate yeah. zero. All of the head-mounted sets don't. And that, from what I understand from the developers, is a limitation in just battery power, screen mm -hmm. resolution. So your hill of vision for some of the manufacturers has shifted. And I've looked at some data on those that shows that it really is a true shift in the, in the hill of vision. So you're not truly measuring apples to apples. Whereas what Radius did, and the thing I liked about it is, they acknowledge the fact that there's going to be a fall off at the low end, so below 15 decibels, we know we're not gonna get a good measurement on current technology, so the current head-mounted devices. So they said, fine, we're gonna take the Hill of Vision and approximate it exactly where right. the legacy units do, and we're gonna acknowledge the fact that if it gets down close to zero, we may not have a good tool to measure that. But there are very few patients who fall in that range. So it, the understanding being, if you have a patient where you're trying to measure a close to absolute scotoma, you may still need your legacy unit. Mm. But how many patients of those are we managing versus the majority of patients who are kind of somewhere in the middle of the hill of vision? So if you take the hill of vision that you measure with a radius unit and you compare that to, let's take Humphrey, for example, it's very, very close. They're almost a one-to-one -one comparison for the area that it's measuring. And I think that for example, when you buy any new technology, you know there's going to be a difference, right? Somebody who's right. gone from a gas-powered car to an electric car understands this isn't going to be the same. Once you understand the limitations, you realize how you can apply it in practice. So I don't feel like I've lost anything by switching. I don't think that every single patient is going to be okay with this. I think for some, I may still need my legacy unit. But yep. remember, my goal is to reduce my choke point. Yeah. And having this unit 
outside of that room for the what I estimate to be the majority of my my patients that I need to test is going to re- greatly reduce the need for that legacy unit. And that's that was my plan. So that's what we get from this. Um, other than that, I think the accuracy is there. Definitely, I've compared I've compared patients with scotoma on our legacy unit to patients with scotoma on the radius, and it's one to one. I've seen wow. very very close comparisons. So I'm very happy with that. The research is showing the same. The final study is not completely written up yet, but when you see the data, it's all there, and I'm very confident with it. And, and I think can, they've done a good job. I mean, I can tell you that yeah. I met with them early, early on, and there was consideration about, you know, we need to have a device on the market. And through those early discussions, they recognized we're not there yet. We can't mm. sit here and say we have a comparison to a legacy unit that everyone's comfortable right. with. So they stopped. And they continued the research to the point where they could say, now we have it. So now we have a product that's saleable. So I respect them for taking that yeah. time. That They did that for us. I mean, they did that so that we would have a unit that we could trust. Now, that the other side of the story is for us, the other piece was it has to be comfortable to put on a patient's face. Right. And I found, in for me, some of those other units out there were very heavy and clunky. Some have a big battery pack attached to them so that the cool thing about the radius, it weighs about as much as a cup of blueberries, the whole head unit. So it, it <laughs> looks like it looks like a pair of uh, fit over sunglasses. And the way they accomplished this was by taking the battery and the drivers out of the unit and into a, um, a tablet. So all of your information that's driving it is coming out of the tablet as is the battery. So therefore the headset can be lighter and patients are much more accepting of that. Really? The other thing is, we also didn't, we have patients who just either can't or won't put a large thing on their head yeah. for whatever reason. So this eliminates that as well. I love that. What about billing? And by that, I mean, is it comparable? You still build your insurance the same way. And then the other question I have for you is implementation. How about your staff? Do they like it? Do they have any trouble learning it? That kind of thing. Yeah, so let me take implementation first. We had no problem at all. Um, it, it's similar, you know, it reminds me, if you're anybody who is into tech things at all, like I just, I bought a new running watch. And before buying the watch, I went to YouTube and watched the unboxing video. And then I went to YouTube and watched the how to use it video. And I found a couple of different people in different ways they used it before yeah. I made the purchase because it was a pretty pricey purchase. Yeah. Um, Radius is in the process of doing the same thing. In fact, the videos are done. They just haven't launched them yet. So again, we got involved relatively early. So our training was actually a webinar. So we had on the phone with them. We had just like this, just like you and I are talking now. And we had them in the room while they set it up and got us running. So they were able to get us set up and running remotely. There will be unboxing videos and uh, utilization videos coming. And then beyond that, they can do an in-person training. So that is an option and they're happy to do it. It's just that my sense is that most people today with technology are not going to need that if you provide them enough information. Right. Um, and it's relatively straightforward to use. The, you know, once you know how to log in, just like with your new cell phone, right? Once you get the login part figured out and you get it on the Wi-Fi, everything else is very intuitive. So the staff has not really had a problem with that part of it. Um, the staff, I think it's been a flow issue is where do we do it? Because now we can do it faster. So we can, can I do a test while someone's sitting in an exam room? Can I do it in the hallway? And the fact is the unit has such a good mask on it. 
as it faces attaches to the face that it's dark so you can we've tested it i tested it myself sitting in the hallway i tested it myself sitting in an exam room the cool thing the patients are telling me is in an exam room they can sit comfortably they can put their head back against the headrest and do the test yeah. there's no more sitting in a funny position at that legacy unit um so we we've not really had any problems at all getting getting our our staff trained um as far as follow-up from the company with training or with with implementation they've been awesome i, I can text their their um trainers we yeah. had a problem two weeks ago on a saturday one of the units one of the tablets kind of went buggy on us which is true of any new technology right um of course it's saturday and we're in the clinic so i'm thinking i'm not going to get a hold of anybody until monday maybe tuesday and I was able to text one of the trainers. She texted me right back and said, can you call me in a half hour? I did explain the problem. She was able to push an update to the, to the tablet. And I was back up and running by Saturday afternoon. Wow. So that's the cool thing about this technology. Whereas if you have one of these legacy units, everyone knows the pain yep. of having to wait for that one technician who's in your region to finish the other things that are prioritized before they get back to you. And it could be weeks before you're up and running again. The other thing they've told us with this unit is if there's a problem with the unit itself with the headset, they'll overnight one. So you won't be down for more than a day. Wow. And, and that's assuming you don't have another, if you have a legacy unit, you can always use that. But we're finding it to be very good from all of those perspectives. Their service is great. They're, they're committed to doing this right. And that's what I really like about them. If you suffer from dry, scratchy, irritated eyes, the problem may actually stem from your eyelids. Cleansing eyelids daily is essential for maintaining healthy eyes, which is why doctors recommend OcuSoft Lid Scrub Allergy Eyelid Cleanser. New OcuSoft Lid Scrub Allergy removes oil, pollen, and other contaminants from your eyelids to effectively reduce redness, irritation, and itching caused by seasonal allergies. These pre-moistened wipes are easy to use, on the go, or at home. Simply wipe and leave on. As the industry standard of care, OcuSoft has a full line of eyelid cleansers for various conditions. Available through eye care professionals, most retail outlets, and Amazon.com. Visit OcuSoft.com for more details. So with the Radius XR, when I do a visual field, am I able to bill for it to insurance? Yes. So again, this is my opinion, but I've looked at the studies. I've looked at what the test does. And, you know, we read the not many us do, but we read the um, actual CPT definition yeah. or the LCD with respect to that device. And if you look at the CPT definition, the current test, so keep in mind, this is, this is a growing technology and all of the updates are getting pushed through as they come. So right now what's in there is the equivalent of, let's say a 24-2 level visual field, right. which is a 92083 level field. So if it approximates that roughly one-to-one, -one, except for it doesn't get that zero decibel level, it's a 92083. There's a, a super threshold screen, uh, field coming, more of a screener field, which will fit the definition of an intermediate field, so a 92082. Um, and again, same thing. It's going to fit the definition. I think we're very, very comfortable to use it. And the same thing, you have interpretation, you have report. So you have all of the things you need to be able to meet yeah. the definition of that code. So I'm building it as a 92083 for the 24-2 equivalent right now, uh, or the G1X equivalent, if you want to call it that, if you're used to octopus. And as the 92082, the, the intermediate level field comes, we'll use that as well. 
Wow, that's a lot. It's it's amazing how far they've gotten though in this short period of time. And it's is it available now for anyone to buy? It is. Yeah. So the the launch was um at Vision Expo East. So they did a soft launch back at Academy and then the real the actual product launch was Vision Expo East. So it's available. Um and it's I think we're still the question one of the questions that I'm still asking is yeah. when you have the unboxing type videos, how comfortable will most doctors be? receiving a box that says open it up and follow these steps and using it and i think that's going to prove itself out my sense is people will be comfortable with it because people do that with cell phones now I and mean, you buy a, a cell phone that costs you over a thousand dollars and you're using it the day you receive it not only that you've already uploaded all your old data into it and you're come you put it put it in your hand and you go i think that's going to be our future with any of this technology i is agree the more comfortable you are with it the 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 better a job the company does at making it accessible accessible to you, the smoother your transition is going to be. I agree. And I think it's, again, what patients expect as well is for us to have new and different and what they perceive as improved and just easier and faster. I think, it, you know, we've, we've got to continue to grow our practice by implementing new technology. So for, again, for our listeners, Steve obviously is a big believer and uh, I love that you've done the homework for us. And I'm even more excited about the fact that you are a strategic advisor or senior strategic advisor for Radius XR. Is that correct? I am. Yes. So uh, anything yeah, I, we want done, we can tell you and you'll get it done. Well, and I'll tell you that one of the reasons I, I got so involved is because everything I asked them to do, they've done. So I, I was mentioning the idea that we need a 92082 level field. So my, my concept was there are plenty of patients where you may not need an a, a in-depth field. You may have a patient who has migraines. You may have a patient who has any other suspected neurological condition, let's say, or a patient where you're just not getting a good confrontation field that you trust and yeah. you feel there's a defect and you may want to order an additional test. Right. This test is going to be fast as can be, easy for the patients, and long story short, we had a discussion when they all they had was a, a 9283 level field in there. And I said, well, when can we have more? And it uh. was weak. It was weeks that we had more. And I was on the phone with, with the um, senior vision scientist who comes out of Johns Hopkins. And I was on the phone with him on maybe a Tuesday. And by the following Monday, they said, it's in progress. And within several weeks, they said, here's the test. Try it out. Wow. That's what I like about them is they're listening to the advisors. You know, they're, they're really they're engaged. You know, they're not just putting a product out there and saying, let's hope for the best, which we've seen other companies do. We've seen other companies, again, I'm yeah. always very careful when I implement new technology, but we've seen other companies where there's a product and it's okay. And they start to build a story around the product as opposed to the product telling us the story, right? Yeah. So yeah. that's when you know a product th that the company maybe has, has, isn't putting enough support behind it. This yeah. company is doing that. They're putting the support behind it. And I don't know if everybody caught when you said earlier that they push updates. So when they make changes like that, it's not like I have to wait for someone to show up at my office to put in a floppy disk and make a change on my device. Correct. Right. So this is uh, if you're going to if you're going to purchase a radius, part of what you're purchasing is the ongoing service. So as the updates come out, they're going to push them right through. So for example, the I just talked to someone yesterday, those videos I was talking about, the training videos, they're going to be pushed to the tablet, which means they can be watched in the headset, which reminds oh, me of one other reason why we chose Radius. So I forgot to say this before, you know, we're all 
um, very impressed with the visual field technology. Yeah. But when we looked at the device, we said, well, tell me what else it can do. It has to do a visual field, right? That's what it's billed as. The cool thing, because it's tablet driven, you can have videos in there. So there already are videos in there. There are, are some industry experts, leading experts in the industry, talking about different topics like corneal cross-linking, keratoconus, mm-hmm. um, specialty contact lenses, those sorts of things. And you then, if you have a, a patient who will benefit from some specific education, and they're the kind of person who will sit with this on, you know, with, the, with the device on, you could run a visual field and you could follow that with a video that is specific to their condition. So if you wanna tell them more about glaucoma, you could make the video yourself if you so choose, or you could have a preloaded video from a glaucoma specialist from some, somewhere in the country, and you could run the glaucoma specialist video uh-huh. explaining the disease process to them to help you to hopefully, A, provide a better level of service to your patient, yeah. B, save you a few minutes. You know, So I've already talked to my, my cataract surgeon who I use most often, He's going to do a video for us that will be in the headset so that when I have a patient who I'm going to refer to him for cataract surgery, in most cases, they meet them for a minute. Yeah. The surgeon takes the information I've sent and hopefully makes the decision as to which direction we're going to go with their surgery. Are we going to give them multifocal implants or toric implants or monovision or distance only, what have you? I can have them meet the surgeon in the headset. And he told me he's a TLC surgeon as well, so he does LASIK. So he said, we did this for, for TLC. We email out the videos of the doctor because they meet right. us on the day of surgery. Um, yeah. In this case, they wouldn't meet on the day of surgery. They'd meet him prior, but you can introduce him to the doctor and you could introduce him to the concepts that you want. So if you think it's a good candidate for, let's say, a multifocal implant, that discussion can be in the headset. You can play the video for them while they're in your office. My theory here is this will make for a better outcome a more educated patient they know what they're getting they know what they want by the time they get to the surgeon they're not confused by what their opportunity is and hopefully we get happier patients with it wow i love it we created actually steve we didn't go that far yet we're getting there but we actually created a welcome video that i did and i'm really excited about it because we uh, have them see that first before they do anything else in the office so I'll give you some feedback in a, in a few weeks as to how that's yeah. going, but we're excited about it. That's great. And there has been talk. I've talked to other doctors who are buy, buying into the technology, if you will. And there's talk of even crowdsourcing. The yeah. videos. So there are other doctors in, in our world that are, are experts in different areas. Yeah. There are some who are wonderful speakers. And if they're so willing, there's a, an idea that they may crowdsource their video if they make one for their own patients. They may put it in there so that those of us who maybe aren't the best speaker or or feel like someone else does a better job of telling a story on a specific topic, you may have access to that in the headset as well. So these are all, I I call them value adds. You know, they're things that make the technology that much better for, for me to implement with my patients. Love it. All right. Well, for any of our listeners that are um, interested, how do they go about getting more information, Steve? So there's the uh, radiusxr.com. There's a, uh, a website. Um, the sales team is actually growing as we speak. So what I would suggest is if anybody is, is very interested, um, radiusxr.com is the website. That should give them contact information. Okay. Um, and then as the, as the sales team grows, they'll, have, they'll be able to be pointed to the right person for that. 
Sounds great. Well, I think that the take home message here is that everybody needs to go back and look at their glaucoma patients and see how often they're really doing those visual fields because Steve was kind enough to share his numbers. I can tell you the research is out there for uh, practices in general that that is not uncommon. And once we look at our own numbers, I think it'll show great need. So I absolutely love it. Steve, thank you so much for being on this show. And uh, thank you for spending time with all of us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me.